you love music, so does he. Jeff Woods Radio, Records and Rockstars Podcast. Let's go to the song that inspired me to have you here in the first place. Your first studio experience at a very high level. Tell us a bit about it before I play it. Songwriters and performers, playing and chatting with Jeff Woods on the Records and Rockstars Podcast. New episodes all the time. Subscribe, listen, and share. Welcome to The Creationist, a podcast about people who create. I'm your host, Steve Waxman. This is the final episode of Season 3, and since Season 3 episodes are all music-related, I thought it only appropriate to include an interview with Christian Swain, who, along with his longtime friend Richard Evans, created the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, a podcast that presents an in-depth look at rock and roll, as well as the culture and technology that influenced it from 1945 to 1995. You know, uh, uh, Richard and I have a, a little fun argument uh, amongst ourselves, and that is, uh, I say that this is a history show disguised as a music show, and he says this is a music show disguised as a history show, and we're both correct. I, I was uh, very insistent that, you know, we wanted to put the music in the context of the times and that the late 20th century uh, will be remembered as an evolutionary change that uh, this particular art form happened to be commenting on daily for 70 years now. My conversation with Christian touches on everything from the influence of black music on rock and roll to the creation of Pantheon his podcast network of almost 70 music-related shows, and his views on the use of pre-recorded music in their podcasts. But everything Christian and his partners have created starts with the first episode of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, which launched in 2015. The idea uh, initially was that we would create a podcast, and I, I do have a partner. I've got several partners in this. Uh, my main partner, my writing partner, Richard Evans, and I, we have been arguing about this for 40 years. So... We, we grew up together. Uh, he's a little bit older than I, so we didn't quite go to high school together, but we went to the same high school. And, uh, you know, we got to be friends, um, you know, around the time of, uh, of me being about 17, 16, 17, and he being about 19, 20. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we hung in a, a, a crew that loved, loved, loved music. Uh, most of us were musicians. Most of us played in bands. Uh, many times competing bands. But uh, we have remained friends and uh, have been talking about this for 40 years. And so five years ago, I said, hey, I got this idea. I personally think that the rock and roll story is a, a fairly completed one, at least culturally. And uh, I think we should retell the history uh, and put it in context with the times and to elevate it as an art form because for most of its 70 plus year life now, you know, it's been uh, downgraded as a lowbrow uh, type of, of entertainment with few exceptions, uh, you know, and since we started, for example, uh, you know, Bob Dylan was handed a Nobel prize for literature, which certainly helped our cause. But the initial plan was, well, we're just gonna tell stories throughout the history of rock and roll. And uh, as we started putting the research together, I said to myself, you know, we really need a basic history, top to bottom. Uh, we should be able to do this in, uh, in a year. So let's do that. 
Well, five years on, we're still working on uh, it. Uh, in, uh, if you've listened to the latest episode, episode 20, uh, Ohio, which was just released last week, we have finally made it into 1970. So we still have a long way to go. So this is probably a 10-year project. How much of what it has become was in the works in terms of your planning for what it was you wanted this to be? Um, you know, it, it has turned out to be everything and more than what I wanted it to be. Um, you know, I can still remember the first time, you know, we've done the research, uh, written the script. Uh, and these scripts are, you know, anywhere between 6,000 to 10,000 words. And uh, if, you've, uh, if you've listened to the, all the episodes, um, they can take multiple story elements and weave them together. There's a through line. Uh, so everything needs to come together at the end. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a task. Uh, and then it goes into production. And, you know, that usually takes us uh, about a month uh, to do. But uh, the first time we got back the first draft of episode one, we danced around the room. We, we, we knew this was, this was going to happen, that this was going to, to work. And, you know, it took us about five episodes to feel like we really had the beast under us, uh, that we understood what we were doing. In fact, we've recently gone back and completely uh, re, uh, redid uh, episode one because um, it's, uh, the, the, the project is now being looked at as a potential television series. And uh, best foot forward, we kind of felt like that was uh, you know, the entry episode that most people would go to. So we went back and, and redid that. So to answer your question, you know, uh, the plan uh, was to tell the history of, you know, we call it the rock and roll era. Uh, and basically, we say post-war. Uh, you know, we, we, we start with 1945 because the culture is built at the end of World War II. American culture is dominant across the globe. Yes, sure, there's a, a you know, a, a battle of hearts and minds between, you know, the uh, behind the Iron Curtain and the communist faction versus, you know, American uh, uh, capitalism uh, and democracy. And um, so uh, we felt that we needed to kind of explain some of the early technological, cultural, and musical foundations that everything was built on. Obviously, when we get to episode two with uh, Elvis and the rise of television, you know, we're, we're solidly in the rock and roll era. So um, let's go back a little bit. Uh, did When you guys were discussing what it was that this thing was going to be, did you talk about the the voices coming in and out, you know, reading different sections of some of your research in different voices? Was it always going to include, and I think one of the things that's really important about the series is that it's not just about rock and roll, but it is about culture and mm. technology and, right. and how everything weaves together. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the, the, the original plan was definitely that we felt that the music was, you know, was downgraded as an art form. Uh, it's just, you know, music for teenagers, uh, if you will. And uh, it, uh, it, you know, when, when I would read about it outside of, uh, you know, the, uh, the music magazines and the biographies, I would find that, you know, culture writers would downgrade rock and roll. Uh, it, you know, it was a, a simplified art form. And to me, it was the art form that literally could comment on the times that it inhabited. And those times 
changed and evolved and and the music went along with it as opposed to other art forms which tend to look back on a on a moment this was done in real time it became a global phenomenon in real time mostly on the back of mass media which again grew prominently post-World War II. And that's why our second episode is called Elvis and the Rise of Television, because rock and roll and television literally grow up together. Uh, and, you know, it is the, the music of the masses. I, I think that, you know, uh, it's American culture and American culture is supposed to be a meritocracy and supposed to be the voice of the people. And uh, this is the closest that, that we feel that you get to the voice of the people. How long did it take you to put together the first episode? I, I, I'm, I'm presuming that <laughs> what, I'm presuming that once you guys got into a groove, that putting episodes together became a little bit easier. No, it, it, as a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, <clears throat> the first about four episodes were really, really easy because the story is is relatively easy. The the origins of, of rock and roll is a very small club. Uh, you know, you're, you're really talking about six people uh, here, you know, Elvis, Jerry Lee, Chuck Berry, uh, Little Richard, um, uh, maybe um, uh, Buddy Holly, you know, uh, and, and, and maybe a few other minor players. But, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm sure people are yelling at me and say, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? But it's still a really small club. And so, you know, we could focus on the individual stories of those people. Uh, and and if, you, if, you, if, if you pay close attention, you'll notice that as we move into the 60s, we realized that once we got to the Beatles, it was really difficult for us to dedicate a show to a particular artist or a couple of artists, uh, that it then becomes more of a geographic story. And uh, the later part of the 60s are really split up uh, geographically. I think we started in London. Uh, we then go to Southern California, the L.A. music scene, the San Francisco music scene, New York, Chicago, Nashville. We do a, a, a soul triangle where we talk about Nashville, um, uh, Memphis uh, and Chicago. Uh, and um, so as we now get into the 70s, we see that the funnel expands even more. And so we have to pick and choose, uh, you know, what those stories are, those stories that are going to you know, be told and try to include as much as we can. So therefore, we can't really focus on people. We can't really focus on geographies. Now it becomes more about genres. Uh, we see the 70s of like, you know, you know, the singer songwriters or, you know, the, 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 the beginnings of hard rock, heavy metal, uh, progressive rock, uh, glam rock. Um, you know, uh, we've got a couple of shows planned. Um, that will address very specific technological and cultural shifts like FM radio, how the live experience went from just a very simple, hard to hear, hard to see, small venue to giant spectacles in huge stadiums, uh, which happens in the, in the 1970s. So, um, so the, uh, the, you know, we have all these disparate story elements that we now need to put together, which causes A, a lot more research, and uh, be more story elements that have to be together. So actually, the the, the further it goes, the harder it gets. Okay. I'm happy that I went back to uh, the first episode because listening to it reminded me of a couple of things that I, that I experienced the first time I listened to it. And one was an understanding, or at least the message that I got, whether or not this is what you were intending, was that Strange Fruit was really a song 
that made it possible for rock and roll to speak truth and that uh, Ray Charles with Mess Around was, re- was a sound that allowed the sound to be born. That's, that's very good. Yes, both those songs allowed a certain level of freedom that obviously uh, white writers uh, picked up on uh, later on. And, uh, you know, the, the fact is, as we know, um, Billie Holiday suffered uh, a lot of slings and arrows for recording uh, Strange Fruit. And Ray Charles did early in his career by taking gospel and secularizing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, the church was none too happy about that because, uh, you know, rock and roll has been, uh, you know, the finger has been pointed at it as uh, some sort of music of the devil. Uh, if you will. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, those two elements are, are some of the beginnings of uh, what uh, what comes next. Yeah. I, I think that I want anybody that hasn't listened to the series yet, I want to encourage them to start at episode one, which is why I just want to say one more thing about episode one that I think is really sets the tone for what you guys do in terms of finding a unique way to tell stories that perhaps people think they already know. And that's the Scotty. Oh, we we thought we already knew. We, 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 yeah. we, we surprise ourselves all the time. So I really loved the, the way you told the Elvis story through Scotty Moore. Yeah. I thought that was really, really awesome that it's not Sam Phillips sitting there and discovering him. That story, everybody has talked about ad nauseum Mm -hmm. that you that you have sam telling scotty check out this kid and 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 the kid comes over to scotty's house dressed to well dressed to the nines as far as rock and roll is concerned back then oh yeah and and that scotty recognized the talent but the sound wasn't there and then we get to the story about how this, the yeah. sound happened to emerge. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, that's all right. Mama's uh, yeah. messing around uh, when uh, when when Sam's taking a break and he overhears it. And it's like, well, now that's the thing I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. So the so from there, I think it it then sets up, and I think that's part of what the way you end the episode, talking about the emergence of Elvis. Mm-hmm. And it's a great tease into this, you know, the next episode. And I think that that's really the strength of the series is that you build a lot of education into the series and then it builds to a climax at the end that leaves you leaves each, you each episode. Yeah. Each episode. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel, I feel somewhat fortunate in as much as I didn't hear the first episode until six, seven months ago, because I was mm-hmm. then able to then, listen to every episode, you know, one after another. And I think that for a good two weeks, that's all I listened to because <laughs> it was, you know, they're long yeah, they're, and they are yeah. dense. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that people, and I, and I would tell my friends all the time, is like, you've got to listen to the series because I think the thing that's really interesting about the series, and I think that is really been fulfilling to me is that you guys really explain what's happening in the culture. And how what's happening in the culture is impacting what's happening in music. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 Richard and I have a, a, a little fun argument uh, amongst ourselves. And that is, uh, I say that this is a history show disguised as a music show. And he says, this is a music show disguised as a history show. 
And we're both correct. I, I was uh, very insistent that, you know, we wanted to put the music in the context of the times and that the late 20th century uh, will be remembered as an evolutionary change that uh, this particular art form happened to be commenting on daily for 70 years now. Uh, and that's pretty extraordinary in, in human history. And so that's part of why we called it rock and roll archaeology, because these are artifacts that we can now go back and like digging up an ancient civilization or, you know, um, stripping away the jungle of a, of a Mayan uh, temple. Uh, you, know, you know, we start with the surface and then we start digging in and digging in and digging in and we find more and more interesting facets. Uh, have you listened to the latest episode, episode 20? Oh, I have, my friend, because okay, the so, because the seventies is the greatest era of music. <laughs> yeah, so so I won't spoil it for anybody, but uh, you know there are three characters that show up in in the episode that we didn't. I knew one of them was there for sure. Um, I had read his story uh, twenty years ago, and uh, so we kind of knew that, but we didn't know the other two were there during those events, and that that then gave us the through line of you know, what to follow. And, and, you know, we've talked to so many people that said, what really? And so, you know, that, yeah, it's, that it's was, interesting to yeah. go back and find those things. No, that that was amazing to me. I, I you know, it's funny cause I was listening to it and then I'm like, did I just hear them say, and I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to spoil it for anybody. Did I hear them just say this name? Did I hear them just say that? I gotta go yeah. back. Hang on. I gotta, I gotta go back like a minute here. And, and, and it's like, wow. The circumstances, I mean, it's a tiny world, right? Yeah, it's a tiny it really world. is. Yeah, and it really you is. Know, that people that don't yet know each other are standing that close to each other. At a, at a, a, a traumatic, world-changing event. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people need to know, too, that it is not just guitar rock and roll that we're talking oh, about. Oh, no. Too. No, no. No, no. Oh, no, no. We, you know, we believe that the rock and roll era includes all the music of the last 70 years. And, uh, you know, as we've already uh, introduced elements of blues and soul and um, uh, and even some early funk. You know, let's face it. The fact is, is all this music comes from black music, period, end of story. And so we have to keep going back to that to show that the next iteration that's coming for white music yeah, it probably started in black music. So let's go and you know, expose that to, to people. Uh, and, you know, it's their struggle that is the, the bones of this, the blues, that, um, uh, you know, we, we all owe a debt to, a huge debt to. It's one of the greatest imports of, uh, of America. And uh, I can't imagine life without it. That to me, as somebody who grew up in Canada, Having heard stories, but just on the periphery and not having not having delved deep into a lot of literature, that stories that, you know, stories that you tell about Aretha, stories that you tell about James Brown in particular, I mean, those stories were really inspirational to me. And, uh, you know, and I have shared them with other people because I think that those stories can lift people up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially James Brown to, you know, to come from just complete utter abject poverty in in the deep south during uh, the you know the age of jim crow and to to have the struggles that that he had as as a as a, a, a child and, and and as a teenager and then just to through force of will alone 
to become one of the greatest superstars of all time. It's, that's mm. a pretty impressive story. So the, the episode that completely caught me off guard was episode nine, the medium, the message. The <laughs> I knew that's where you're going to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, it's, I mean, in terms of, in terms of the, the series, that's the one outlier so far. So far. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how you guys made the decision to go where you went with that episode. Because, um, uh, and what we're talking about mostly is the, uh, the drug LSD having a profound effect on uh, society and the music uh, business uh, itself. Uh, you know, you know. Let's face it: the musicians are you know more than primed to uh, uh, enhance their uh, their minds to find some new muse if, if, if you can. And so, when uh, this drug uh, started uh, to hit the streets in the mid '60s, you know, it was <laughs> it was hailed uh, by. Uh, uh, the, the the musicians first and foremost. I mean, uh, as we go into uh, uh, the uh, the episode, uh, you know, the Grateful Dead's um, uh, and the Merry Pranksters' acid tests uh, play a prominent role uh, in that. But we looked at LSD as a technology. It was a new technology that uh, would literally expand your mind and provide new insight into music. And we, I think, did a pretty good job of proving that with the main song that we really point to, which is The Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. So I, I don't want to, I mean, I, we could go, we could go episode by episode, and that's not what the, that's not the point <laughs> of this interview. I, I do want to, I, I want to talk, about, you know, more about the process, because these things are very, very dense. You, the show notes, I'm presuming your, your show notes are, all of the materials that you guys are looking at to create these yes. episodes. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the the attribution that we do provide uh, has gotten the F, the uh, the series to be used uh, academically uh, uh, by many professors around the world. How much work goes into each episode prior to you even beginning to record? So we, we do have like a, a series bible of like you know th this is where we think it's going to go. Each episode uh, has taken us in different directions than what our assumptions were uh, by doing the research. You know, it's, you know, we start off with uh, an idea of like, well, we think because, you know, we've done a fair amount of reading, you know, we've been involved in music for 40 years in some way or another, you know, that we know the story. Uh, and um, as we dive deeper into the research, you know, many times we find that, yeah, we didn't understand it as well as we had, or, uh, you know, new information has come to light. Uh, there's, there's a fair amount of that. Uh, I think people are more willing to um, dive deeper into those times, their lives today than, um, than before. You know, let's face it, um, uh, as we discussed uh, here, episode nine of uh, rock culture, drug culture, yeah, kind of go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, it was very illegal uh, back in the day, less so today. And so, you know, a lot of people didn't want to talk about those stories. And, uh, you know, as a, as a publicist yourself, a professional, uh, you know, a lot of that was meant to be kept out of the papers and not uh, exposed uh, to disrupt the mythology that uh, is being created for the particular artist. But, you know, once you get to a certain age and your career is uh, maybe waned, you're not writing hits anymore, you know, uh, you know, I think people are more free uh, to tell the stories as they are. So we're picking up a lot of new information. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we have it planned out and, and we have adjusted our timeline a little bit too. 
while I would say 1995, I can still make a really good argument why 1995 is kind of the end of that. Um, you know, um, uh, Windows 95 comes out, makes the, the PC ubiquitous, Napster arrives about two years later. That totally changes the music business. The rise of hip hop uh, is, uh, is, is taking over of, um, you know, rock and roll as the, as the music of the street. Uh, and, um, you know, I can make some, some good arguments, but, you know, the fact is, is that American Idiot, which, uh, comes out in 2004 is the last number one rock and roll, real rock and roll album to date. And, uh, you know, we're 15 years on now and that's probably never going to happen again. Uh, not, not unless you, unless some kid from TikTok does something that causes another song to reach the peak. Uh, I, I don't see that. That happened. Although I did just read a story yesterday that uh, younger artists are complaining that these old artists are taking charting spots and uh, they're streaming uh, money away. So uh, just you know, when when you got a fifty-year career, I guess uh, I guess you you've got a lot of uh, a lot of product out there uh, to compete with. So, um, yeah. but uh, but we we have it planned out uh, to to the end. Uh, we kind of know where it's going. We quit. Uh, you know, I think the first. Six up, up through the Beatles episodes, we knew those were going to be the episodes. We then realized after the Beatles that, you know, the story shifted and it shifted on us. And it became, as I said earlier, one of geography was the only way to tell it as opposed to personality. And now as we move into the 70s, you know, we, we always knew we were kind of going to go genre specific. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, we're excited about the uh, second half of the decade. That's you know we we lived that uh, very much, so we're really excited about uh, about getting there. You know, we and every time we 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 do think we we're like, oh, when we get to the next one, it's going to be easier because we know this. We were we were almost there, or we were there, you know. And then we get into it, we die. The, the research says, well, maybe we didn't know everything that we did. So we and so literally, you know, the the mantra is. Follow the story wherever the story goes, and so that 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 is our our prime directive, uh, if you will. But uh, we we have it planned out, but uh, you know everything is subject to change. Well, to to that end, are there any any stories that came up that surprised you and took you guys in a completely different direction, a left turn that you didn't expect to go, you didn't plan on going? <laughs> Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, yeah, uh, the two episodes of 1969, uh, that was that was a chore. It was it, the story got so big that we had to cut it into two long episodes. I mean, it's almost four hours of material between the the, the two episodes, and we're talking about one year. It's it's um it's an eventful year, and uh, it's a chaotic year. It's a uh, 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 you know an inflection year. Uh, and as we stayed in the episode, we, we think it is peak America and, and, and peak music at that moment. I mean, you know, the, the Beatles are, are still doing some of their best work, but they're beginning to wind down. The Stones now have really risen to the occasion. The Americans have uh, fought back against the British invasion and now have a thriving uh, rock and roll scene out there with new acts showing up daily, you know, and, and we're, we're about the same age. So I'm sure you remember that, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, we, we would get almost what is now considered like at least a classic track, if not a classic album, uh, which is, you know, you know, very far in, in between uh, these days. So, you know, we just kind of felt that, um, that, uh, that that was a big surprise. So just how messy it was, 
Uh, and, and, and in some ways, the episodes reflect that. You know, it's, there, there was a promise and a hope that the world would have been different. And, you know, we, we expressed that in a, in a quote from uh, Charles Reich in the, in the new uh, episode that, uh, you know, the, the, the quote from The Green Year of America, which was a book that came out in 1970, that, you know, culturally, this is going to win. Politically, not, that'll be the last act. And I don't know, maybe we saw that act yesterday. So um, many podcasters that might be listening to this and many label people that might be listening to this would probably want me to ask you the question I'm about to ask you. How is it that you can use music in your episodes? Um, well, I mean, honestly, uh, we hung our hat and feel that we have a strong case on fair use. Uh, all of the music that we do use uh, is in context uh, of the times, of the story, uh, of the people. Uh, and um, uh, we, uh, at the same time, know that this presentation is causing our listeners to consume a lot more music. Uh, I get emails all the time from people saying, you know, your latest episode reminded me of so-and-so, and I just gobbled up his whole catalog. So <clears throat> we uh, feel, and this, this goes beyond the, just the show itself, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit, of how rock and roll archaeology spawn uh, an entire network of now almost 70 podcasts uh, on it. Uh, and um, so we, we, we know that we are kind of like the old music store clerk, you know, uh, who uh, snottedly told you what the best records were. Uh, the uh, music writer uh, in the magazines that, you know, are dead or dying. Uh, and the FM disc jockey who played you those songs the first time and told you their stories. So we're combining those three elements to promote uh, the, with this particular show, uh, Music of the Past, back catalog, but with many of our other shows, with current current music. And um, uh, so, you know, we feel that uh, we're in a, a situation that's similar to a, a commentator of, um, you know, movie reviews, uh, if you will. Uh, and you're going to play a sample of, uh, of the movie saying, you know, here's what I'm talking about to put it in context. Uh, at the same time, uh, the podcasting industry is uh, kind of the Wild West uh, when it comes to that, uh, although we are working with rights holders uh, and uh, content ID companies uh, that are, are figuring out uh, a licensing structure uh, that would facilitate uh, the use of music in podcasting. Uh, it's complicated. Uh, it's in process. Uh, I can't really talk about details. But uh, it is all being worked on uh, because this is a, a future of, of music marketing. So now you you have alluded to the Pantheon Network here. Mm. So, and it's born out of rock and roll archaeology. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Everything so, starts with rock and roll archaeology. That's the foundation. So yeah. there was there was no Pantheon before you opened the doors. No, nope. open Pandora's box. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pantheon, the home of the gods, don't forget. So uh, what happened was, um, uh, you know, we put rock and roll archaeology uh, out there. And uh, as we've already discussed, yes, it takes us a while to put each episode out. And we try our best to put them out as quickly as we can. But at the same time, it, they take what they take. We're not going to put out an incomplete um, show. We're, you know, in, 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 until we believe the research is set, we uh, believe the writing is solid. 
We believe the production is perfect. It doesn't go out. Uh, I, all the promise I can make all the promises in the world, uh, and it doesn't matter. And, and the fact is, is that the end result is time, uh, and um, uh, and the audience will respect the the quality over quantity. So. Uh, because it takes us so long to do that, uh, we started getting uh, lovingly hate mail, I, I, I would call it, saying, why does it take so long? You know, can, can we do this? Can, you know, can we do this? And fi- finally, literally, it was one person. I wish I remember who it was. But uh, somebody said, can't you do something else in between? And I was like, oh, yeah, we could. Yeah, we could do something else in between. Uh, in the meantime, we brought on uh, another one of my partners especially on the Pantheon side, uh, Peter Ferrioli, uh, who kind of came on as a, as a marketing guy uh, for rock and roll archaeology to get us uh, out in the world. And uh, Peter and I got on, uh, along so well that when you know that came up, we said, well, let's start making some other shows. So the first thing we did was we did a couple of recap shows. Um, we did um, uh, one for uh, HBO's Vinyl, a, a very expensive uh, uh, one season um, uh, take on rock and roll from Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger and others uh, that uh, failed. Um, but it was dense. It was as dense as our show was with music. Uh, and it was fun to do that. We did uh, Showtime did Cameron Crowe's Roadies. And uh, we did a recap show on that. Again, it only lasted one season. Um, uh, I, I was doing interviews because of the research anyway. So I turned that into a, um, a professional show called Deeper Digs. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then all of a sudden we had about six organically grown shows. And uh, we went to a, um, a podcast function, um, a podcast movement, and uh, the big buzzword that year was networks. And uh, Peter and I looked at each other and said, hey, I think we've got a network. So we uh, decided to, um, uh, in 2019, to really focus on, on that, uh, Peter and I, outside of rock and archaeology, to build up a community that of uh, like-minded individuals of what we did with uh, rock and archaeology. And uh, lo and behold, we now have almost 70 shows. Oh, so what are, what are some of the uh, bigger shows that you have on the network? Well, um, uh, oh, so now I'm going to play favorites. That's not good. Yeah, no, me. go right ahead. Uh, <laughs> What's the point? What's the point of having children if you can't have favorites? <laughs> true, true. Um, uh, I mean, uh, look, uh, uh, all of our shows are great. Um, we appreciate all of our hosts. We either brought them on uh, because uh, it fit a need uh, for what uh, we're looking for. Uh, we intend for Pantheon to be not just rock and roll, just like rock and roll. Archaeology is not just rock and roll. It is, uh, you know, all forms of music uh, out there. But, um, you know, some of uh, my my personal favorites is uh, uh, Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. Yeah, the uh, most famous groupie of them all has her own podcast that we uh, we helped uh, create and produce uh, for her. Uh, and she's fantastic uh, on it. And uh, conversely, uh, we also brought Pleasant Gaiman in, and Pamela and Pleasant know each other. And Pleasant was uh, a writer at the LA Weekly and was uh, very much in the punk scene. And, you know, uh, a fun little fact for me is that last year, two documentaries, uh, music documentaries, which are on top 10 lists, feature both Pamela and, uh, and Pleasant. Uh, Pamela in the new Frank Zappa documentary, 
uh, Miss P was uh, uh, Moon Unit's um, uh, babysitter. Uh, that's how she kind of got uh, involved in the Frank world and part of the GPOs and all that. And then Pleasant uh, Gaiman is uh, almost plays the same sort of role in the new Go Go's documentary. So those are fun and nice for me uh, to see. Uh, uh, you know, some of our hosts getting uh, some some uh, airplay out there. Uh, History in Five Songs is a great uh, show for us. Uh, 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 and I bring that up because uh, Martin Popoff is out of Toronto, Canada. He has written over 80 books. Um, he focuses mostly on on hard uh, hard rock and metal. Uh, and he's got this, you know, it's, it's just an easy, great show to, to digest. It's, uh, you know, some topic that uh, he kind of picks out of the air uh, and uh and then uh, he has got this encyclopedic knowledge and can uh, literally extemporaneously just wax on about any subject in that uh, hard rock and heavy metal world. And then he picks five songs to prove his case. So that's uh, a, a fun, a fun show uh, out there. Um, one of my recent favorites is Bob Dylan about man and God and law. Uh, which was, uh, it's uh, produced and hosted by uh, Dr. Stephen Arnoff out of um, uh, University in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, he dives deep into, you know, the cultural significance of Bob Dylan and his music, and his lyrics, and, uh, and how that fits in with the times. Uh, and in fact, uh, as the, the good doctor is more than willing to say, that show is a direct inspiration from rock and roll archaeology. In closing, what do you see as the future for Pantheon? I mean, rock and, the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project has is probably going to last a few more years, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until, yeah. Until you guys get to 1991. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How much? How much? How much further growth do you see in Pantheon? Well, um, first of all, on, on Rock and Roll Archaeology, uh, a number one, uh, you know, w- once we get to the to 95, um, you know, we can go back and uh, dive deeper into, um, uh, you know, the various eras or subjects. We wouldn't do it chronologically like we're doing now. So there is a, there's always a future for that show uh, out there. Um, as far as Pantheon is concerned, you know, uh, we are uh, the largest music-oriented uh, podcast network in existence. Um, and uh, music has gone from uh, the last in subject uh, matter for podcasting to number one uh, in the last year. Um, So we feel that uh, we're in a great position to be the future of music discovery. Uh, A lot of people complain about, uh, you know, algorithms, uh, you know, as the the form of music discovery. Uh, And, uh, you know, look, uh, I don't know about you, but I never had a machine tell me what the music was going to be. I had a person usually tell me what the music was going to be. And uh, unless there was some sort of reasoning behind that choice, I may skip it. But if there's good reason for it, then uh, I might uh, you know, take that person's uh, suggestion and you know, end up being the, a new fan for a new band. Um, so we see this all the time with, with all of our shows, that we are a, a new form of music discovery uh, out there, um, you know, uh, the, um, the word of mouth type of discovery. And I think that's a big future for, for Pantheon. Uh, we plan on uh, trying to tell as many music stories from as many disparate, uh, diverse voices as we possibly can. Um, and I think that's our future. Uh, back to rock and roll theology. Um, we uh, have uh, signed with a, uh, a production company in L.A. 
uh, to help turn this into a visual documentary, uh, maybe on one of the streaming services. And we just recently finished uh, all of the, uh, the the needed paperwork and uh, series Bible and uh, the pitch video and DAC and everything else. And so we're, we're out uh, now actively pitching that. And we see that with some of our other shows. We see uh, live uh, opportunities with uh, with all of our shows. I just think the, the future is very bright and going to be extremely exciting uh, for us for, for the next 10 years. I hope that you've enjoyed my interview with Christian and that it's intrigued you enough to go listen to the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast. The research that goes into each episode is truly mind-boggling. If you have even the slightest interest in the history of music, culture, and technology, and how they collide in the 20th century, I highly recommend you check it out. But do yourself a favor and start at episode one. You can find this and all other Pantheon shows wherever you listen to podcasts, or at pantheonpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to season three of The Creationist. I've already started doing interviews for our next season, so if you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite platform and get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can reach The Creationist at thecreationistpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us at The Creationist Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. The Creationist is mastered in post-production by Paul Ferrand. I'm Steve Waxman, and I created this podcast. (laughs) 